Welcome once again to the Hitman Chronicles. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver, and today we have a packed, packed, packed episode. We'll talk all the boxing from last night. That's legit boxing, not no clown shit show. We'll talk about the unfortunate uh, cancellation of the Amanda Serrano fight. We'll talk about uh, Jonathan Bomba, Bomba, La Bomba Gonzalez continuing his reign as one of the criminal cartel champions of his division. We will talk about the featherweight uh, doubleheader that occurred in Verona, upstate New York last night. We have another Q&A session, and today in the historical overview session of the podcast, we will take a look at two wrestlers that died in the last week. Two former wrestlers who died last week. Mike Jones, best known by most people as Virgil from his years as Ted DiBiase's bodyguard. And the legendary Ole Anderson, legendary wrestler of the 1970s and 1980s. So real quick, let me talk real quick about what happened last night in Puerto Rico. I wasn't watching the card. Um, I, I saw the uh, Jonathan Bomba Gonzalez retain his 108-pound championship against Rene Santiago. Um, another workmanlike decision by Gonzalez, who we need to see him in a unification fight at 108. I want to see Jonathan Gonzalez make a big payday right? uh, in, in a main event on, on the zone. That being said, solid victory. And I don't talk about the clown shit show. I don't talk about that motherfucker, that piece of shit, that YouTube clown, whose brother I've got to give credit to is doing a hell of a job as a heel in the WWE. But these guys don't belong in boxing. Amanda Serrano was supposed to fight and she sold the build she sold the building out. I think she set a record. 18,000, over 18,000 people. Amanda Serrano was to defend her multiple featherweight championship against Nina Menke. And the fight was canceled seconds before the opening bell by the commission doctors because they said something was in Amanda Serrano's eyes and they could not continue. They could not allow the fight to go on. And you know what? I'm hearing rumors that some type of jail got in Serrano's eyes. Look, we have to protect the boxes. Too many times a guy goes in the ring and then you hear after the fact, oh, like recently the most, uh, the, the Virgil Ortiz fight that happened uh, two months ago now at the very beginning of the year, you had claims by Tony Weeks and, and that he went in there after having a, uh, that the boxer went in there a after having what the a brain aneurysm. Now the commission said that was a lie. I don't know. Nothing has come up since Tony Weeks made that uh, made that claim. I don't know. That fight is still bizarre to me. Amanda Serrano, I'm sorry, and um, they had set an all-time gate and a tennis record in Puerto Rico, and now the fans can get a refund, and deservedly so, go get your money. You didn't come to see that fucking clown shit. The people came to see Amanda Serrano. She was the draw in that building, not the clown from YouTube, not Jonathan Bomba Gonzalez. It was Amanda Serrano, and unfortunately, she didn't fight, and the, the if, if the majority of the fans want a ref refund and they're entitled to it, that promotion will take a bath on last night's card after looking to be a very profitable show. It turns out that it could be a show deep in the red. Okay, let's get to the featherweight action from last night. And I was correct on both predictions, but let's talk about the first fight. I predicted, I predicted a, a, a six-round knockout. By Luis Alberto Lopez, I believe. I don't know. My memory falls short uh, 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 of his opponent last night. Um, Abe 
did not come to fight. Abe was running. And uh, Tiafimo Lopez, you could learn something about how to cut the ring off by watching Luis Alberto Lopez, who beat the livid snot out of Rhea Abe. Rhea Abe, as soon as the bell ran, bell one began, Abe ran. But beginning around two, Abe's eye began to close as Lopez was banging that body and landing from his very unorthodox uh, stance, uppercuts and shots to the body. By the third round, Abe's eye was damaged. They should have stopped the fight right then and there. Mark Nelson deferred to the doctors, and the doctors took forever and a day to look at the eye every time. Nothing was getting better. The end swell wasn't working. It was a brutal beating Luis Alberto Lopez gave to Abe. Round after round after round. Lopez won every second of every round. Finally, in round eight, Mark Nelson said enough. He didn't even go to the doctor. He said enough. He stopped the fight. Another championship defense, successful defense of his criminal cartel IBF featherweight title. Luis Alberto Lopez, who I hope fights Raymond Ford next in what right now I consider the early contender for fight of the year. Raymond Ford fought a gutty fight last night. Now, before I talk about the fight, before I talk about the Raymond Ford out of Komatov war, we've got to do something, ladies and gentlemen, about these horrible announcers on the zone and ESPN. And I was watching on my illegal feed because I refuse to pay for ESPN Plus if I gotta pay to listen to listen to the babblings of Mark Regal, Timothy Bradley, and Joe Tessator. So I watch it illegally on my fire stick. All three announcing teams that I heard. As I was going through the various uh, 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 links on my fire stick, were horrible. Chris Algieri, a former professional boxer, a bogus world champion at one time, kept calling um, Obatov's left cross a left hook. No, it's a left cross, you stupid. You used to box. What are you doing? Christina Pancha, sweet woman, sweet, sweet, sweet woman, very nice, very nice, a sweetheart. She had, at one point in time, I thought she had a lot of potential to be a very good boxing announcer. She's gotten into the lazy habit of calling crosses hooks. And then, beginning with the fifth round, I had to, because two of my links died, the third and final link, the only link that I could get was the Timothy Bradley, Joe Tessitore link. And God, what were they looking at? If you would listen to Timothy Bradley, you, you would think Raymond Ford was dominating this fight. No, he wasn't. And then when Kobatov would land shot after shot after shot, what was Timothy Bradley saying? Oh, he's just letting Kobatov blow off some steam. So there won't be much on his punches. Uh, 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 Ford, Ford is, is taking those shots so he could wear down Komatov. What? I had Komatov winning eight of the first 11 rounds. Now, there was a couple of rounds that could have gone either way. Two of the judges had Komatov winning seven of the 11 rounds. So we were on the same ballpark. And the other third judge had Ford winning by one point going into the 12th and final round. Now, the last... Four to five rounds were hectic in the eighth round. And Bradley again making shit. Brad, Timothy Bradley making shit up. Raymond Ford staggered Komatov early in the, in the eighth round with a beautiful right jab, a stiff right jab. When looking at the replay, Bradley was going, I don't think that right, right jab hurt him. I think Komatov has a bad knee, and that's why he stumbled. If, uh, he used to wear a brace in the ring. He's not wearing one now. Timothy Bradley, Komatov never wore braces to the ring. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And you know what? As a podcaster, as a man that has been podcasting boxing now for 13 years, I have to listen to these clowns in order to give you guys the real rundown. 
Timothy Bradley is a disgrace to boxing. Joe Tessitore is a disgrace to boxing. Mark Kriegel is a disgrace to boxing. There was times in this fight where they were saying that Ford was dominating, that Ford was going to the body, even though Komatev was outlanding Ford in most rounds. The 11th round, Ford suffered a bad cut from a headbutt in a round that Komatev dominated. Going into the 12th round, I thought Raymond Ford needed a knockout, and I was right. And then, late in the fight, Ford, in a frantic 12th round, staggered Komatov. And Komatov went down and out. Referee Charlie Fitch made a judgment decision here. He called it a slip. And, you know, I, I, could, I could see why he meant because they were wrestling when he went down. But Komatov was out on his feet. And Ford saw this, jumped on him, and Komatov ran. He was hurt badly in the corner with seven seconds left in the fight. Charlie Fitch had no, no other alternative but to stop the fight. A dramatic come-from-behind victory by Raymond Ford. Raymond Ford showed a lot of heart last night, but he also showed a lot of flaws. Timothy Bradley kept saying, Raymond Ford is making Komatov miss. Where? Ford got hit all night. Ford... Could not outbox Komatev because he couldn't get past that right jab. So he had to do the opposite of what his style is. And he had to come forward and he took a lot of punishment. He got the job done. But that was the type of fight last night that could have taken a lot out of Raymond Ford. And now Raymond Ford has a lot of options now with his first world title and only his 13th pro fight. He could fight a unification fight with Luis Alberto Lopez and that would be a great fight. He could give Komatov a rematch, and that'll be another great fight. Or he could give Bruce Carrington a shot at the title. Bruce Carrington. Th these are all fights that are feasible. Look, I wouldn't be mad if, if top ranked do Bruce Carrington in the ring with Raymond Ford right away. I would love to see it because I think Carrington is ready now. For a featherweight title shot. Good to my head. Of the three options. What I would want to see Lopez versus Ford. But got, that's, that would be a hell of a fight. We will see. And maybe they can come back to New York. And not upstate New York. Because upstate New York is very far from where I'm at. Uh, in, in, in Harlem. Maybe they could um, take it to the theater at Master Square Garden. We will see. And speaking of fights in New York. I'm not going to go through the whole sh clown shit show that the Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia press conference were. I don't know what the fuck that is. Maybe they're trying to sell tickets. I don't know. I do not trust the boxing media with their reporting because, ladies and gentlemen, they've been wrong all week about Canelo and his negotiations with who he's going to fight next. Um, we still don't know about Frank Martin versus Tank Davis if that fight is finalized, so... You can't listen to the Mike Bensons and Mike Coppages of the world. They don't know shit. All they do is repeat what people tell them. Please. The biggest problem I have about Devin Haney versus Ryan Garcia are those ridiculous ticket prices that they are charging at the Barclays Center. $8,000 for ringside seats. $355 for nosebleed seats. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not, I was going to go to the Barclays after going to see what the ticket prices are. Nah, I'll be watching on my illegal fire stick. Ladies and gentlemen, the Hitman Chronicles fighter of the week is Raymond Ford with his dramatic come from behind late stoppage of Komatov to win. The criminal cartel WBA featherweight title. Uh, Otebek Komatov fought his ass off. He fought as good as he could. He just didn't have enough left to survive the last seven seconds of the fight. He ran his turn and turned his back on Ford. He was out on his feet. Charlie Fitch, who did an incredible job of refereeing. Mark Nelson did an incredible job of refereeing. These guys need to be featured more in the big fights. I've been tooting. Mark Nelson's horn the last few weeks. He has been tremendous. He's been the best referee in boxing this year 
so far. It's not even close. Ladies and gentlemen, before we get into the Ask Rob Silver portion of the podcast, um, I want to announce the winner of my latest Twitter poll, which was who would be the next Life and Times historical overview 10-part series boxer I would do a series on. I gave, I did a poll in which the candidates for the next series of, of, of pods I would do would be, I had Larry Holmes, Sugar Ray Leonard, James Tony, and Roy Jones. And this was a hotly contested poll. Sugar Ray Leonard won by a few votes over James Tony. So, I've got two episodes left in the Thomas Hearns <coughs> Life and Times. Immediately after that series is over, we begin with the Life and Times of Sugar Ray Leonard. Ladies and gentlemen, before that series starts, if you haven't had a chance, please. I've done three series so far. One on Muhammad Ali, 10-part series. One on Marvelous Marvin Hagler, 10-part series. Um, eight of the first 10 series of the Thomas Hitman Hearns Life and Times is available on this platform. Go check them out. And by the way, I was right on my predictions. I predicted Luis Alberto Lopez would knock out. Uh, Abby in the sixth round, he he stopped him in the eighth, and I predicted Floyd wouldn't buy a decision. He won by stoppage with seven seconds left. He wouldn't have won the decision had had he had Kovatov survived. Even if you would have gave him a ten eight round for it, he would have won by split decision. Um, Kovatov. Um, Raymond Ford has a lot of options now. One twenty six. Gutty win. The Hitman Chronicles fighter of the week. And now on to the Ask Rob Silver segment of the podcast. For those who want their questions answered on the podcast, go to Twitter, type in hashtag Ask Rob Silver, submit your question. It could be on anything. Just, just doesn't have to be about boxing right now. Most of the questions on this segment will not be about boxing. It could be about football, baseball, life, women, whatever you want. Answered and whatever your heart desires. All right. First question is from Colonel Gales. He asks, does the Victoria Five Theater still exist in Harlem? No. Uh, no. That theater, uh, that theater went bankrupt, man, 35 years ago? I used to go to that theater all the time in the 1980s, and it was around 1989 that the theater went out of business. Um, now that property is the largest building in Harlem. It's got the, the Harlem Renaissance Hotel. They, uh, they've got some fancy buildings there. It's a real, you, you walk by it and it's just a few steps away from the Apollo. Um, 125th Street today is not the 125th Street that I grew up in back in the 1980s. So that answers your question, Colonel Gales. No, the Victoria Five movie theater went defunct 35 years ago. That used to be the place to be in the 1980s in Harlem on a Friday and Saturday night. You go take your girl to the movies, and then afterwards you go to any of the spots out there in Harlem to eat. All right. Next question is from Jesus Salas. Your memories of Ole Anderson. Well, that'll be the final segment. Matter of fact, that will be the final segment of the podcast. My historical overview today will be on Mike Soul Train, Virgil Vincent Jones of Memphis, WWF and WCW fame, and of course, the legendary Ole Anderson. I will be ending the podcast with tributes to both these men. So, Jesus, I'll answer your question about my thoughts on Ole Anderson on the final segment. All right. Jesus has another question. Let me get it. Let me get it. Jesus asks, what are my thoughts on uh, George Carl's quest to keep attacking Melo in the press and having issues with African-American players except for Sean Kemp and Gary Payton as far as he knows? I think George Carl's a bitter old man. George Carl 
while he had a lot of success in the NBA with the Seattle Supersonics, with the Milwaukee Bucks, with the Denver Nuggets, record-wise, and he made a ton of playoffs. Matter of fact, let's look up George Carl's uh, career record. He had a tremendous one-loss record. George Carl. George Carl coached the Seattle Supersonics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Denver Nuggets, and then the Sacramento Kings. And he was coaching here in 2013 with the Denver Nuggets. And um, let's look at his career record. And he's in the Basketball Hall of Fame as a coach. Tremendous career record, 1,175 wins, 824 losses, a 588 winning percentage, which got him into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. But George Carl could never win the big game. Now, he went to one NBA Finals, 1996, where they lost to the uh, Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls in six games. When he, when he was with the Bucks, they made the Eastern Conference Final and they lost to the Philadelphia 76ers in 2001. He coached the Denver Nuggets for nine years and he had tremendous success regular season-wise. And when the Nuggets traded Allen Iverson for Chauncey Billups, the first year Chauncey Billups played alongside Carmelo Anthony, they made it to the Western Conference Finals. So George Carl's George Carl had a lot of success. But that being said, he could never win the big game. He couldn't win that seventh game against the Philadelphia Sixers in 2001. They went down three zip to the Bulls in 1996 before they came back. All right. He couldn't win the big game. Understandably. Understandably, um, the dynamic with AI and Carmelo didn't work out, but it worked when he had Chauncey Billups. But this was an older Chauncey Billups who didn't have a lot left, but the last great years Chauncey Billups had was with Denver and George Carl. I think George Carl's a bitter old man. He never won the big one, and him and Carmelo have been going back and forth, and him and... um. What's my man's name that used to play on the New Jersey Nets? I forgot his name, but he also has been going back and forth with George Carl. Uh, I think George Carl's a bitter old man, and he's frustrated that he never won a championship. And he takes it out on players like Carmelo Anthony and Kenyon Martin. That's what I was thinking about. But uh, George Carl, with the teams he had, even though he never won that big game, um... When could they have won the championship? Probably 93-94 when they had the best record in the NBA. They got bumped in the first round by the Denver Nuggets. The Seattle Supersonics, when he coached them, that was the year they could have won it all because that was the year uh, that was the year that uh, Michael Jordan had left basketball for a brief sabbatical. So uh, did George Carl let his team down? I don't know. Did his players let him down? I'm not in the locker room. All I can tell you is from watching with my eye, I respected him as a coach, but I never considered him on the same level as a Pat Riley, as a Chuck Daly, as a Phil Jackson, as a Larry Brown. Probably the four greatest coaches of my lifetime. So a great question again, Jesus. Uh, George Carl, a very good coach. Wouldn't call him a great coach because he never won championship. He only went to one NBA Finals. And... He had an opportunity to win multiple titles with the Seattle Supersonics, and for some reason, they choked, especially in 94 when they lost in the first round. All right, next question is from... Let me make sure I get this question right. Uh, okay, here, from my, from my man Skis. The question he asked, Tyreek Hill versus Daryl Green in his... Prime versus prime. Who is, was the better athlete? Skis, these are two of the greatest athletes that ever played in the NFL. Both <coughs> were world-class sprinters, track and field athletes in college, as well as all-world 
football players in college. Daryl Green, one of the top five greatest cornerbacks in the history of the sport. When it's all said and done, Tyreek Hill could easily go down as one of the top five greatest wide receivers of all time. Both men ran identical numbers in the 100 meters during their time period. So um, I can't answer who's the great athlete. They're both great athletes. You could put Tyreek Hill and Daryl Green on the same level as a Herschel Walker or Bo Jackson, guys that were tremendous track and field stars as well as great football players while they were in college. So, uh, uh, big man, I, I would have to leave that question to Beast. Whatever you, uh, you like, I think they're both on the same level and you can't go wrong with either one. Both men, two of the greatest athletes in the history of the NFL. Now let me go to my other account, see if there's any questions there. Let me see. Go to the Ask Rob Silver portion of there. Ba, 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 search. All right. Let me see if there's any questions that I'm missing. I think I've covered all the questions. Make sure. Jay Corpus, uh, the Barry Gordy question, I'm going to answer next week. I'm going to ask, ask uh, next week uh, uh, your question on Barry Gordy. All right. All right. And same thing with you, Half Pint, because I haven't had a chance. I've had a busy schedule. I haven't had a chance to rewatch Fight Club. So definitely next week I will answer Half Pint's question, and I will answer my buddy Jay Corpus's question on Barry Gordy. Okay. Now... Uh, to the historical overview of the podcast, we're going to start with Mike Jones, a.k.a. Virgil, a.k.a. Vincent, a.k.a. Soul Train Jones. Recently, two wrestlers passed within the last week, Ole Anderson and uh, Mike Jones. Mike Jones, I will start with, turned pro, I believe, at the age of 24 um, after going to wrestling school, and the first time I saw uh, Mike Jones, he was known as Soul Train Jones, and I was going to school in New Orleans, and they, uh, uh, a guy had a tape of Memphis Wrestling, one of my college classmates, and I was laughing as I saw this real muscular dude coming down in the ring to living in America, dressed up like Apollo Creed with the red, white, and blue trunks. That was... Mike Jones, he was known as Soul Train Jones, and he got a big push in Memphis, even tag team with The Rock's father, the legendary Rocky Johnson. And then after leaving Memphis, the WWF hired him to be Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man's bodyguard, and Virgil fit the role perfectly. He was this bald-headed, muscular black dude who was the perfect-looking dude to be an enforcer. Now... He didn't speak. He just held Ted's money and did whatever Ted DiBiase told him. Now, there was one match that Ted DiBiase had. It was June of 1988. You might be able to find this on YouTube. Steel cage match. I attended this match between Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage for Randy Savage's WWF world title. In the match... Virgil, a.k.a. Mike Jones, did a phenomenal job, a great job. He kept going up in the cage. He kept going to the top cage and interfering, knocking Macho Man over, hitting Macho Man. It was elite, elite interfering on the part of Virgil. I, I never saw him work like that as a, manager, as a manager or bodyguard before or since. To me, that was the highlight of his career in the WWF as Ted DiBiase's manager bodyguard rather not his manager his bodyguard then in 1991 Teddy Biasi the million dollar man started with these subtle uh, racist remarks you know said that he owned Virgil and if you notice when the gimmick began in 1990, 1987 Teddy Biasi and Virgil it was sort of like a rich man with a black slave because basically that's what Virgil was a black muscular slave Virgil played it to the T. And then when Virgil turned, 
finally in 91 with the help of Rowdy Roddy Piper, the fans went apeshit. He beat Ted DiBiase for Ted DiBiase's million dollar belt at SummerSlam 91, August 26, 1991. And Virgil was super over for a few months. Lost it, lost the million dollar belt back to uh, DiBiase a couple of months later, November 91. And from then, from there until he finally left the WWF in the mid-90s, he was he became a jobber to the stars. Like, he would beat jobbers, but he would lose to the Yokozunas of the world, the, 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 the super heels. And then in 1996, when the NWO exploded onto the scene, he was the fifth member of... A fifth original member of the NWO because Ted DiBiase was the money, uh, was the, the man with the money behind the NWO, and Ted DiBiase brought in Vincent. Now, listen to this Mike Jones was named Virgil by Vince McMahon in 1987 as a knock against Dusty Rhodes, whose real name was Virgil Riley Re Reynolds. In 1996, when Mike Jones joined the NWO, he was given the name Vincent as Eric Bischoff was knocking Vince McMahon by calling Mike Jones Virgil. Later on, uh, Vince Russo would have Mike Jones change his name to Shane as a way of mocking Vince McMahon's oldest son, Shane McMahon, oldest child, Shane McMahon. So he was always being used as a joke to the opposition. Um... After the NWO and WCW imploded, WCW went out of business in 2001. Virgil wrestled on the independent scene for several years. 2010, he made a return to the WWF for a few months as Ted DiBiase Jr.'s bodyguard. And he, at that point in time, Mike Jones, a.k.a. Virgil, did not look the same. In his prime, he had a perfect physique. He looked the role. When he came back in 2010 to be Ted DiBiase Jr.'s manager or bodyguard, he looked rough. He, had, he was out of shape with a gut. Uh, I guess Vince was throwing him a bone, Vince McMahon, but it didn't last long. And finally, he died. Now, Virgil, would, this is what people say. I don't know how true this is because I don't. I don't, uh, I, I never go to wrestling conventions, but the rumor was that he would set up a table at a wrestling convention, not pay for it, so people could pay for his autograph, the whole nine, and if you can get away with it, you can get, you can get away with it. Um, everybody that came in contact with him said that, uh, he was a nice guy. Uh, he suffered a couple of strokes, and... He was the last few years of his life was real rough on him physically. He uh, suffered two strokes. He was diagnosed with dementia, and when he died, they discovered he had stage two colon cancer. And I believe he was either sixty-one or sixty-two years old when he finally passed away. So uh, rest in peace to Mike Soul Train Jones, um, entertaining dude. I mean, he played his role well, especially with as Ted DiBiase's bodyguard. He played that strong, solid guy who would do whatever his owner told him to do at his beck and calling. And um, when he was with the NWO, he was the guy to eat the pin. Whenever they had six-man or eight-man matches, it would be Vincent, a.k.a. Mike Jones, that would take the pin. So uh, rest in peace, big man. Um, you entertain a lot of people throughout your years. In Memphis, the WWF, and WCW. Now, my thoughts on Ole Anderson. I'm going to end the podcast with three phenomenal pro uh, promos that Ole Anderson did in turning on his partners. Dusty Rhodes, Thunderbolt Patterson, and Sting. These were first-rate promos. You're going to hear all three in its entirety. After I uh, wrap up this segment. Ole Anderson. At one point in time. Was one of the greatest bookers. In wrestling history. 
at one time he was booking both the Georgia territory and the Jim Crockett Promotions Carolinas territory. That's how big of a booker he was. That's how a uh, well, well world world renowned he was as a booker. He was uh, running World Championship Wrestling, which was Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1984, before Vince McMahon made a coup d'etat, got the bought the stocks from the Briscoe brothers, Jack and Jerry. Um, what's my name? Well, what was what's dude's name? Um, that's how my boy Jim Barnett and McMahon, after getting the majority of stock, went to Ole Anderson and said, "Look, we're going to take the company, but." Come on board, and I'll have you run this this uh, still Georgia, and you can work for me, and 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 you can make a million dollars a year. Ole Anderson all but spat in Vince McMahon's face, and said, "Man, fuck you, I'm not taking your offer." Vince McMahon took over Georgia Wrestling, and then Ole Anderson, as a favor from Ted Turner, was given an early morning Saturday morning slot. To show his newly formed Georgia Championship Wrestling. Or Championship Wrestling for Georgia. And I think that program, that promotion lasted maybe seven, eight months. Before finally um, McMahon, uh, Vince McMahon sold back World Championship Wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling. He sold it to Jim Crockett for about a million dollars. And then only agreed to work for Jim Crockett and folded up. His Georgia promotion and the wrestlers from the Georgia promotion joined Jim Crockett promotions. Ole Anderson was in the first uh, formation of the Four Horsemen. It was Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, and Tully Blanchett. People still to this day are shocked to learn that Ole and Arn Anderson are not related. No, they're not related at all, ladies and gentlemen. Arn Anderson's real name was Marty Lundy, and Junkyard Dog, while in Mid-South, 1982, told Marty Lundy, God damn, you look like Oli. And I think it was JYD, Junkyard Dog, that contacted Oli Anderson and said, Look, you need to take a look at this boy down here. He looks like a younger version of you. When Oli Anderson saw Arn Anderson, he hired him on the spot, and they... They portrayed him first as his nephew. Ole was Arn's uncle. But in 85, when they reformed, when they formed the Horsemen for the first time, um, Arn and Ole were known as cousins. Ric Flair was known as their cousin. Ole Anderson would retire from wrestling in 1987 after an angle in which he was thrown out the Four Horsemen and they had a Lex Luger take his place. He would come back sporadically and do uh, matches, but basically, he wanted to be home to help train his son, Brian Anderson, who became a college wrestler, and at one point tried to wrestle for WCW, wound up wrestling for Smoky Mountain. In 1990, Ole Anderson was hired as the booker for WCW, and he he came up with one bad idea after another. He brought up the Black Scorpion, which was a horrible idea. That flopped. He was fired late 1990. He came back in 1993 as the head booker after they fired Bill Watts. It was Eric Bischoff who became the head of WCW and Ole Anderson as his right-hand man to be the booker. Ole Anderson was fired by Eric Bischoff not too much longer after that. And um, for the last 30 years since being fired by WCW, Ole Anderson has done a bunch of shoot interviews. He's got a great book out there, um, How Corporate America Destroyed Wrestling, something like that. But uh, Ole spoke his piece. And I give Ole credit for this and this thing. Thunderbolt Patterson was blackballed in the mid to late 70s by damn near every single promotion in the United States because he was a black athlete that was looking a black wrestler that was looking to get health care, that was looking to unionize they blackballed him 
Ole Anderson was the only promoter that would give Thunderbolt Patterson work throughout the remainder of Thunderbolt Patterson's career. So uh, I have to give Ole Anderson credit. A lot of people labeled him a racist. He did some racist angles. But regardless of whether he was racist or not, I don't know the man. I do know that during the time when Thunderbolt Patterson was being ignored and blackballed, Ole was the only promoter that would give Thunderbolt Patterson a job from time to time. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, next week we will review the undercard of the clown show, um, Ngannou versus uh, Anthony Joshua. I'm not making a prediction on that clown show, but I will make a prediction on one of the fights. Joseph Parker versus Jalal Zhang. Jalal Zhang right now is the heaviest puncher in the heavyweight division. The man has bricks in both hands, without a doubt. He's fighting Joseph Parker, who is one of the best boxers in the heavyweight division. Joseph Parker coming off his complete domination over 12 rounds of Deontay Wilder. My prediction is Joseph Parker boxes to a 12-round Decisive decision over Jean as he uses his superior boxing ability to evade Zhang's power punches. Zhang is great when you're right in front of him like Joe Joyce was in beating the hell out of you. Zhang's got a great chin. Joseph Parker is very intelligent and I think he's going to use his intelligence to box his way to a 12-round decision win and win a shot at the winner. Of Fury versus Usyk that is still scheduled for May 18th. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And now I have a special treat for you. I'm playing three of the greatest promos Ole Anderson ever did. Sit back and enjoy. And as always, continue to be blessed and be a blessing. For football players, somebody trying to block him. They don't have to block him. He's not good enough to be a wrestler. It doesn't belong and shouldn't get his chance. I'm, why don't you be quiet for about two seconds and let me talk and say something? You know, you're talking about a leopard doesn't change his spots. You're exactly right. The leopards don't change their spots, and there's awfully good reason. Dusty Rhodes himself was the one that said it could never be over. You just better give me the credit for being smart enough to outfox. Dusty Rhodes. I want you to take a look right now at Dusty Rhodes. I brought something down that I had filmed a long time ago when I saw it. You take a look at what Dusty Rhodes says. His own words. His own words were, it'll never be over. Go ahead, show him. You Let me tell you what, a steel toe boot couldn't take me out. I told you this thing will never be over. It will never be over. Both of them. They both of them will run up around. I can't stand it because the other one's always jumping in. Call off. You broke your chain. You broke your chain. Women with a chain. Only Anderson laying down could not take me out with a steel toe boot. Could not put me away with a steel toe boot. And I'm going to say this right now and get it through your head until you have a broken back. Until you have a broken neck. Until your bodies are broken and beaten, both of you, this thing will never be over. Well, you proved it would never be over last Sunday night at the Omni, sir. Dusty Rhodes' own words, it'll never be over. Well, I remembered all the time. I had to sit there and just go out of my mind with Tommy Richards in my corner. Stan Hansen was in my corner. Tony Atlas, all of those people. I had to stand there and be with every one of them. Well, 
what happened to Dusty Rhodes. Uh, we're going to take See a look. what happened to Dusty Rhodes. We're going to take a look at, uh, at Brutus right now. Brutus in action here. The match is underway at the Omni. And uh, Dusty Rhodes and the Assassins, Ivan Koloff is the special referee. And uh, all of a sudden, Koloff starts interfering in this situation. Gene Anderson, who is one of the referees, and it's Dusty Rhodes battling all by himself. Where were you at this point, sir? I was waiting for my spot, and here it comes. You look, you watch, you watch. I had to be a little careful because I didn't want everybody else jumping me. But Rhodes was right where I wanted him, right on his backside. And when I was kicking that face, and I said, Dusty, you remember you said it better than anybody else. It'll never be over until somebody's out of this business. And right there, you see Dusty Rhodes down, down. Well, the Russian Ivan Koloff, I might mention, too, has made the statement repeatedly that he would stop Dusty Rhodes and his date with destiny. But how can you? I don't understand you at all, Mr. Anderson. I don't understand. Well, Gordon, for about a year, I had to stand right here and pretend I was your friend. I remember when you used to give me all those little smart comments. Well, now I don't have to pretend to be your friend because I never was and I never will be. And if you step your face in my way again, I'll do the same thing to you. And you can count on it. Well, sir. That's sir. Thank you. Sir, you look right here. Here's that mealy-mouthed brother of mine, Lars. Lars coming in there, the do-gooder, the guy that I can't trust. No! Lars is no good, and Lars ought to be thrown out of wrestling. And if there's anything I can do to help get Lars out of wrestling, I will. Lars, Dusty Rhodes, the only guy I can count on is Gene, the assassin. Mr. Koloff, those are the people that I count as my friends. Lars is a turncoat, a traitor. You want Dusty, you want Lars, you don't know who you are. Bad situation here for everybody, but more particularly, of course, for Dusty Rhodes himself. Uh, Dusty Rhodes uh, putting his heart, his trust, and his faith. Koloff, my old partner, finally realized, finally realized that all this time, it was just a ploy to get Dusty Rhodes in the ring. I had to take a lot of hard knocks from Ivan Koloff. I had to take a lot of licks from the assassins and everybody else. But I wouldn't tell him what was on my mind. I plotted and I planned. It took me almost a year and a half. But finally, finally, I got Dusty Rhodes where I wanted him. Nobody knew. The only man that knew was Gene Anderson. And that's why Gene Anderson hasn't been here for a year because he couldn't stomach the idea of me being in the ring with a guy like Tommy Rich or Stan Hansen or now our own brother Lars, Mr. Do-Gooder, Mr. Sir Galahad. I'll tell you what, I... Why don't you give us a little relief? Go home or shut up or do Well, I think it's time we listen to some comments. I just want, yeah, you just take a look because even Koloff didn't know what I had in mind. Take a look. He was completely fooled, as was everybody else. Listen to what Koloff had to say. I was given the great pleasure of being a special referee in the tag team, Georgia tag team title match between the Assassins, Ole Anderson, and the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I was very impartial in my officiating of this match. At one point, I thought that Ole Anderson and Dusty Rhodes would capture the titles. But being in the cage match, the great American dream ran himself into a little trouble and couldn't get over for the tag to Ole Anderson. Finally, in making the tag, I couldn't believe what happened next. Ole Anderson turned on the American dream and started kicking him and punching him. Now, all during this match, I kept the officiating very impartial, like I said before, even to a point pushing Ole Anderson out bodily when he made illegal moved into the ring. Now, I couldn't believe, like I said, I didn't suspect it for one moment, that Ole Anderson was going to double-cross Dusty Rhodes. And when he started putting the boots to him, I had such joy, such pleasure in my heart, and my, my blood ran with such warmth, I couldn't believe this. So I had to join in and started kicking the American dream, taking my boots off, and giving it to my old partner, Ole Anderson. And it was, it was like old times. We were both there kicking the American dream. I couldn't believe it. 
Only Anderson, as rotten as you are, I know at last, at last you've seen the way you should be. And I am so happy to see you this way again. The American dream laying bloody on the floor at my feet, dragged from the ring, put on the stretcher to the dressing room, to the hospital. Well, I suppose that makes you proud. Makes me proud, yes. To be back with my old friends again for a long time, I had to fool them and go around, like I said, with all these other people. The irony of it all is this. Tommy Rich asked me to be his partner, and I went, oh, yes, Tommy, I'd love to be your partner. Stan Hansen said, please, would you be my partner, Ole? And I said, certainly, Stan, I'm going to be on your side. But I was waiting. I said, how in the world can I ever get Dusty Rhodes? I was going to ask Dusty Rhodes to be my partner one day. And Gene says, no, 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 wait, wait, take your time, take your time. Nine months went by, and I still couldn't get near Dusty Rhodes. A year went by, and still Dusty Rhodes wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't come near me. But Tommy, Stan, a lot of other guys, they said, oh, yeah, come on. I rode a few places with them, hated every minute of it. But finally, but finally, finally, I didn't have to ask Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes asked me to be his partner. He asked me. And I went with him one match and two matches. And finally, I said, how about a fence, Dusty? We can keep those assassins in. And the idiot went for it. Dusty Rhodes... If it's the last thing I do, you're going to be out of wrestling permanently. I, me, Ole Anderson, I'm going to see to it. Well, I'll tell you what. After hearing those uh, Judas comments uh, from Ole Anderson, I'll tell you right now, Dusty Rhodes has some very, very strong comments to make and some big ideas for Ole Anderson. You know, I'm standing right here. You know, a lot of people ask me, said, I told you so. See, I told you it's going to happen. That's fine. I don't blame nobody but myself, you understand? I have no animosity to anybody but myself. Now, when I was walking through that airport, more or less almost crawling, being begged by some fans to go to the hospital, go to the doctor, say you can't breathe out of your nose, can't get yourself together, say go to the hospital, honey. Go to the hospital, baby. I said I would not give him the damn satisfaction. The heaviest thing that ever happened to you is getting ready to come down on you. I need no help. I want none. I ask none. But in the Omni, Andre the Giant is going to be there with me with both the Anderson brothers. And I'm going to bring this once pretty face to the Omni Friday night. And I'm going to stick it right up in front of you, old Anderson. And I'm going to look you right in the eye. And I want you to feel what I feel. Payback. Payback is hell, daddy. Tony, the national tag team champions are Ole Anderson, Thunderbolt Patterson. That's right. But something, something's wrong. Something's wrong with them. What has taken place with that? David, I don't know what's, what's happened between Ole Anderson and Thunderbolt Patterson. I do know that Ole Anderson saw a piece of Arn Anderson, and then he and Thunderbolt had a little confrontation. And right now we're going to take a look at that confrontation between Ole Anderson and Thunderbolt Patterson. They were joined at ringside by Thunderbolt Patterson. Well, you know, I don't have very much to say. It's just, uh, uh, you know, you got to change your heart, it seems like. You know, uh, uh, I know this is uh, blood is uh, a little deeper than uh, water and everything, and Ken uh, is run kind of deep and all, but, uh, you know, uh, it was a time when you didn't uh, go for, you know, rough tactics like that, and uh, just because he's your kin, you can't uphold what he's doing. What about that? I can old? understand uh, him being a great wrestler. You know, I've uh, had some time to think. And you ought to know probably as well as anybody the things that have happened to me in my life in the past, what, year, six months, whatever it is. And I think you know that I've uh, done what I could do. But frankly, I finally realized maybe it doesn't do any good. Maybe it's a waste of time. I look at that kid, and I, you're right, I see an Anderson. I see what it can be. 
I don't see what somebody else wants me to make it. I see what it can be for me. I can see what it might do for that kid. And if you really stop and think about it, Bolt, if you give it some time and reflect on it, you're looking at me right now. I feel like I'm going back in time. Well, maybe that's what we ought to do. Maybe that's what we got to do. Maybe that's what it has to be. Maybe it's got to go back in time. Because if I look at it honestly, I look at you and I look at Tommy Rich and I look at uh, who? Dusty Rhodes. I look at this Magnum TA and I realize all of a sudden like a light. When I see this kid, all of a sudden I realize, you know what, Ole, you've been a kind of a dummy. You know why? No, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know why? Because, Bolt, frankly, I've been carrying you. I've been carrying Tommy Rich. I've been carrying Dusty Rhodes. I've been carrying all of you. I've been carrying you. I can squat with 700 pounds and all of you together weigh a little bit more, and I'm just finally tired of it. You used to tell me how... What do you, don't shake your head. Yeah, I mean, the people. The people told me. The people said, hey, look, there isn't anything changing. I mean, this is just uh, uh, the, the, the trinkets before you, you know, this, this goes way back, way, way back. I mean, uh, 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 are you going to be a liar? No, I don't call it a liar. I don't call it a liar. I, mean, I say I realize not, uh, I just uh, wake up. No, wait a minute. Let me say something. Let me say something. They talk about, get that camera, and you say you look in a person's eyes, and you can tell whether they're giving you any garbage, BSing you, so they call it. Yeah. You take a look, and you're going to see in my eyes, you're going to see the truth. I'm going to just tell you right now, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to touch you, not yet. I'm going to tell you this. Today is a free day. Today is the day that you and I look at each other and I admit, nice guy that you were, whatever. But I helped you, you can't deny it. The days are over. I'm leaving. Next time I see you, I would suggest maybe you watch out. Tony, Ole Anderson is the Ole Anderson with the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. That man means trouble. You're exactly right. He looked at Arn Anderson. He said that's the way the Andersons should be. My goodness, David. Who that's knows right. what's going to happen to the national tag team champions? Listen to the music. The music is the man. And the man is the Raging Bull. He's in that ring right now against an Anderson. Iron Anderson. This is the match. It's probably, David, the hottest feud in professional wrestling right now between these two men because earlier had a chance to look at when Arn Anderson broke the arm of a, a wrestler. Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull, jumped in the ring to help him, and then Arn Anderson got on the Raging Bull, and then it's, it's just a balloon from there. And you know, when you first look at Arn Anderson, he and Ole look an awful lot of oh, That's yeah. the first thing Ole said when we looked at, at Arn Anderson in action together with me. It's like he his said, shadow. Yeah, he said it looks exactly like me, no doubt about it. But these two are tough men. And speaking of Ole Anderson, David, Ole Anderson has joined us once again here at ringside. Well, I uh, came down to see you to say what it's like to watch Ken, what it's like to watch Blood in the Ring, and that's why I'm here watching Arn. Ole, we talked about Arn and you resembling each other. It's really uncanny. I don't think there should be anything uh, uncanny about brothers resembling each other. Brothers? Your father and his father being brothers, is that what you mean? What I'm more concerned about is watching Arn Anderson wrestles. What I'm more concerned is about this feud that they're talking about between Arn Anderson and the Raging Bull. Somebody made some comments about what happened last week, and uh, I stick to it. I say the Raging Bull stuck his nose in some place. He certainly is a doctor. He isn't qualified to come down there and inspect anybody. And uh, right now we're going to see probably uh, one of the greatest matches of all time. All right, so we really don't, we have the two men in that ring. They're ready. They can compete against each other. Right now. With a bad arm. Another shot by Manny Fernandez. Manny's ready. David Ole's almost to ringside. He's ripping the dog in this match. He cut him. He cut him with that upper, upper chop of his. There you see Ole Anderson. He's right up at ringside. A double thrust from the bull. Wait a minute. Now, Ole Anderson showing Tommy Young that the feet were across the road. Anderson, Arn right, Anderson, kicked him out of the road. Oh, no, Manny, Manny's going in for Ole. What's the deal? Oh, man, start turning away. Oh, Manny Fernandez, Arn Anderson, 
Manny Fernandez. Wait a minute. This, this is the only of all. His positioning. Oh, he's up. He's up on that second row. He's stretched up. Put him on out. Drops it. Foot right across. Now they again start to pound away on Thunderbolt. They drag him over. They get ready again. Position. Ollie now. Going up. He's up on the top row. He's up on the top row. Down on that mat. All right. There you see the old Funker in the ring right there. Hello. I want to say one thing right now that there's two things that's going to be hard to beat in 1990. One of them is World Championship Wrestling because it's here to stay. And the other one is the horseman. All four of them. Ric Flair, Sting, Foley, and Arn Anderson. Here they are. Come on out, guys. And there they are, ladies and gentlemen. Ric Flair on your left, the world's heavyweight champion. Sting, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, the four horsemen. The most physical entourage in the sport today. Whether you like them or whether you don't like them, you've got to say the four greatest individual wrestlers right now in the world. Four very diverse dressing styles as well. Flair's in a $10,000 suit. Sting's in a Western outfit. Arn's the casual look and Ole. Well, he looks like Johnny Cash. He's won the Johnny Cash Award for the man dressed in black. The horsemen are so physical, but they are the elite group in our sport. And now let's go back down to Terry Funk. No, no. I want to say one thing. That you four men are tough. And tough is an attitude. I like to think that I have that attitude. But I know that you horsemen have it. I know that you have it, Oli. Let me ask you a question. You want to just do something and hang on that microphone, or you want me to hang on to it? Well, let me just say one thing, Terry. When we have an opportunity to get together on national television, we always make a statement. And tonight, once again, the horsemen are going to make a statement. And on behalf of the horsemen, the spokesman, Ole Anderson, has a few words. We want to make sure that everybody all around the country has an opportunity to hear what I'm about to say. And I want you in particular to pay attention to it, Sting, because you're the reason we're here tonight. I want you to know you're not going to be a horseman anymore. It's over. No more horsemen for this state. Yeah, don't close your mouth a second. I'm going to explain something to you. I want everybody to listen real close, and you listen real close. 
when Rick called me and called Arn to come in here, it was for one reason. And the reason he called us in here was to get rid of you. But I tell you, now just be quiet. There's, there's, there's three of us standing here and there's one of you. Just wait a second. One thing that nobody looked for and nobody could figure was when you jumped in and helped Rick against this guy. We held off. A little later in the Iron Man contest, we came in that ring and we were ready to stick your head in the sand again. And as we came through the ring, Rick gave us this, eh, pay attention, Rick gave us that sign and waved us off. You were spared for the second time. And then something that nobody would have ever dreamed could happen, happened when you became one of us, a horseman. And you were a good horseman, no argument about it. You're a great wrestler, you're a tough, strong kid, but you did the one unforgivable thing that we can never forget. You know what that was? When you signed that match to meet Ric Flair for the world title on February 25th, you signed your death warrant. Are you listen now? I'm gonna tell you what I said to Rick. We all agreed we should just stop you right now, but Rick says, no, no. Now, he helped me one time. We let him live one time, but on one condition. And the condition is this. You go to the promoter, you go to Mr. Jim Ross or whoever you got to talk to and you tell him that you're going to cancel that contract with this man. Wait a minute, get over here, Pat. You just listen. You're taking it too far. You listen to me and you listen real good. Anybody, even a blind man, can see there's three of us and there's only one of you. We're going to spare your life. You got about two hours to make up your mind what you're going to do. And I'm telling you right now, it's only because of his nice kindness that we're going to let you live right here. Two hours, you make up your mind, you go tell Ross, you tell everybody in the world on this national TV that you're going to give up that chance at the world title. You understand? Not a chance. Sting, I bought you a little time a because hold of hold what you got. Nah, you're too easy. The whole deal is this. You got two hours to make up your mind, and you're no longer a horseman. And if we ever see you again, you're not going to be quite so lucky as you are tonight. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. Hey, wait a minute. I want to Come on. Look at this. I tried to tell you. I want you sometime! Now do the smart thing! Smart up! Get out of this business! Get rid of that contract! Get out of my life! You're good! I cannot believe this! This is the greatest thing oh. I've ever seen in my life! Smart up! Get out of it! Oh! This is pathetic! Ric Flair! Absolutely pathetic! He gave the guy a chance! Well, he gave the guy a chance! Yeah, you're a big chance! Fans! We're gonna, we'll be right back. This continues live. Don't go away. We'll be right back.